Hello and welcome to another podcast from the Secretariat of Child and Youth Protection at the USCCB. I'm Melanie Takanen, the Associate Director for the Secretariat, and I have with me today Dr. Bart Klicka from Prevent Child Abuse America, who is the Chief Research and Strategy Officer. Bart, thanks for joining me today for this. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Prevent Child Abuse America and just some of the work that the organization does. Yeah, so Prevent Child Abuse America has been around since uh, the early 1970s. It was founded by Donna Stone uh, as the Family Achievement Center. Uh, It then changed its name to the National Committee for the Prevention of Child Abuse in 1974. Um, And then we changed our name again to Prevent Child Abuse America, um, which is currently our name now. And and really the focus of our work, um, we, we break it down really across f- what we would think about as four pillars, programs, policy, research, and public awareness. Uh, we've got a 50, 50 chapter state network. So we have chapters of prevent child abuse uh, in all 50 states. At any one time, there's y- usually you know one chapter across the United States that may be in transition. But mm-hmm. uh, really, we have that 50-chapter state network uh, where they're really guiding state-level prevention work. And when I say mm-hmm. prevention work, um, they're really looking at prevention across the spectrum, child sexual abuse, child physical abuse, neglect, Uh, Some of our chapters are doing things like human trafficking prevention, bullying prevention, so it really runs the gamut. Some of our uh, chapters are also engaged in home visitation, which is sort of really one of the gold standard approaches to to child maltreatment prevention. Mm -hmm. We also here um, uh, at the national organization, we we host the evidence-based home visiting program, Healthy Families America. Um, It's one of the maternal, infant, and early childhood home visiting uh, program Mm -hmm. evidence-based models. Um, We work with families uh, uh, to be able to build healthy relationships. Um, And we've got about, you know, 500, at any one point in time, around 580 or so uh, Healthy Families America sites uh, across the country. Um, This has been a program that's been in operation since the 1990s. Um, and we've got you know, a fair amount of evidence through randomized controlled trials about the effectiveness of, of Healthy Families America. Um, we also uh, have a, a policy presence in D.C. where we're, we're oh, thinking okay. about the uh, types of policies that are going to be supportive for, mm-hmm. for kids and families in the past year. Um, we're working really hard with the reauthorization of, of MCV, the Maternal, Infant, and Early Childhood Home Visiting Program, as well as really trying to support our state chapters at a state level on thinking about the types of state-level policies that, that could be in place for child maltreatment prevention. And then finally, the, the issue of public awareness. Um, you know, we do a number of different things, and maybe we can touch on that in a little bit. One of the things that you'll often see are the, the pinwheels for prevention. April yes. is the, the big month for pinwheels for prevention. Uh, so you may see pinwheel gardens planted at courthouses or on governor's mansions, lawns, things mm-hmm. like that. But really, it's be- become the symbol of great childhoods is what mm-hmm. we see it as. And um, you can always see me wearing uh, my lapel pin of my, my pinwheel. So, mm-hmm. And we do other things uh, around public awareness, um, a lot of it happening in April and supporting our chapters to to really create a unified message for for child abuse prevention. Mm-hmm. I love what you mentioned about uh, the pinwheels and how the pinwheels for prevention is really something that is run through Prevent Child Abuse America. I know a lot of our, our dioceses uh, and even local parishes have started doing, you mm-hmm. know, kind of their own pinwheel gardens and having oh, that too. Great. 
And we get the feedback that because it's so positive, that's why people want to get involved. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times people hear, oh, child abuse prevention, and oh, you're only going to tell us bad stuff, you know, and and all those kind of things. But it really puts that, like you said, the healthy childhoods, the innocent childhoods. And we, you know, we've done a lot of work over the years uh, around this issue of framing of child abuse and neglect. And And there's been a shift, not just with us, but I think in the field about how it is that we talk about the issue of child abuse and and even places like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. When you look Mm -hmm. at their strategic uh, child maltreatment prevention uh, strategy, it's about the promotion of safe, stable, nurturing relationships and environments. Mm -hmm. And so instead of saying, hey, we're going to go out and prevent child abuse, what they're really messaging is what we want for all kids. We want great childhoods. We want safety for kids. We want nurturing nurturance for kids. We want stability for kids, both in their relationships and in their environments. And we've sort of taken a very similar approach about thinking about how do we message what are the things that we we really want for all kids Mm -hmm. to thrive. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that's really kind of one area then that really makes uh, Prevent Child Abuse America kind of stand alone as an organization or really what may separate you from other organizations? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're we're really sort of one of the oldest, largest uh, nonprofit organizations that focuses specifically on what we think about as primary prevention mm-hmm. of child abuse and neglect. We partner with a lot of great organizations um, who deal with what we might think of as more tertiary uh, prevention or after the fact. So if abuse and neglect has already occurred, what do we do to make sure that A, the abuse stops, um, but that B, that we're really providing the types of treatments and services that kids and families need um, after the abuse. And, you know, to, to use the analogy or to the, the parable about, um, imagine that there's a, a couple sitting on the banks of a, a river and um, they're looking out into the river and all of a sudden they notice a person floating by in the river. And so they jump in and they pull the person to the shore and no more than do they get to the shore, another person comes floating down the river. And so they jump in and they pull that And no more do they get to the shore, and then they notice that there's two people floating down the river. And so as this continues on, uh, they're they're pulling people to the shore. And then one of them sort of notes, you know, why don't you continue to stay here and pull the people from the river? I'm going to go upstream and try to figure out how the people are getting in the river in the first place. Mm -hmm. And really what we see our role is, is making sure that people aren't getting in the river in the first place. We need the people downstream that are helping pull the people from the river, but really our efforts are more focused on let's move upstream, let's figure out why the people are getting in the river in the first place, and let's stop that from happening. I, I love that visualization of that too, as far as, you know, we have a problem, we know that, but let's try to solve the problem before it even becomes that point. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we need people at all levels. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the one thing that we, we try to stress is that um, we don't try to say that the work that we're doing is better than other work. We need we need a coordinated system of people sort of downstream helping us pull yeah. uh, the people from the river. But we also need people like uh, Prevent Child Abuse America and other organizations out there that are really keeping an eye towards this. What we talk about always is upstream. You know, how mm-hmm. can we make it so people never experience abuse and neglect in the first place? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it seems like that all ties in uh, with the public awareness component that you mentioned earlier as far as how that's really important to to the organization. So how does Prevent Child Abuse America really kind of tie that into the public awareness part mm. portion? So we've done a number of things around public awareness over the years. You know, Pinwheels for Prevention, as we said, you know, has really become the symbol of, of great childhoods. And 
Um, you know, we've put a lot of effort over the years into really spreading that message and um, thinking about how we, especially around April, how do we create some awareness around the issue. But we've also, in the last uh, few years, um, taken on this issue of how is it that we, we do something, understand the norms of uh, American culture that help us understand what do people think about this topic of child abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. So we did some surveys back in 2014 and 2015 to ask the general public, what do you think about child abuse and neglect? Do you think it's a serious problem? Do you think it's preventable? Do you think you should uh, intervene if you suspected child mm -hmm. abuse and neglect? And mm -hmm. we, we really learned some interesting things that have really helped frame some of our public awareness messaging. And what we learned from these surveys is when we ask people, you know, do you think child abuse and neglect is a serious problem? They say, yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. it's a serious problem. And then we ask them this other question about their perceptions of norms. So we say, what do you think most adults think about this issue? And interestingly, what we find is people are saying, yeah, I think it's a problem. And I think other people think it's a problem. Okay. And uh -huh. so then when we ask them, do you think it's preventable? They say, yeah, we think this is a preventable problem. And we think other people think it's preventable. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we've made sense okay. of some of this information is by saying, you know, people generally think this is a serious problem and they think it's preventable which is a good thing, right? They don't, they're not seeing this as an intractable mm -hmm. problem. And maybe it's hinting to us that with our public awareness campaigns, we don't have to continue to try to convince people that this is a serious problem. What they're telling us is they already think it's a serious problem. Another component of our survey work is we asked people though, um, what are your barriers to intervening on behalf of, of kids and families? And they said things like, you know, fear of making it worse for the kid. I'm afraid of my own personal safety. But yeah. one of the interesting things that they said to us um, was that they wouldn't intervene because they don't know what to do. And yeah. so for us, we sort of put that together and we say, okay, so you think it's a serious problem, but you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so then we finally, as part of these surveys, we asked this question about, you know, what are you, what are you doing to engage in child maltreatment prevention activities? Very small percentage of people said that they were, but then we asked questions about, so are you, do you donate goods to an organization? Do you mentor kids? Do you advocate for, for policies? Mm -hmm. And upwards of 80% of people were saying, oh, but I donate to child and family serving organizations. Yeah, I mentor at my local congregation. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I advocate for policies. And so part of what we've done to put all that together is to say, general public thinks it's a serious problem. They just don't know what to do. So our public awareness work needs to be able to message, here are the things that people can do. So during our Child Abuse and Neglect Prevention Month, uh -huh. we've talked a lot about mentor a child. You know, be able to mentor a child, support, help do some um, uh, work, volunteer work in your community. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's our thinking that when people hear, as you had said, the issue of child abuse and neglect, our concern is that they think that they have to be on the front lines as a child welfare worker yeah. to prevent child abuse and neglect. And they don't. There are very small things that they're doing. Uh, and we want them to do those things more. Absolutely. So is there a certain way you'd recommend that people can, can get more involved? Kind of just that some of those local level specifics that you mentioned? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that there's there's a lot of ways. I mean, sort of just reiterating what I what I had just said about, you know, that kind of what we had see is the, the low hanging fruit is, mm -hmm. you know, become a mentor in your yeah. community. And it doesn't have to be through 
uh, a formal program. There are formal programs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. There's a lot of great programs out there that provide formal mentoring, but mm -hmm. you know, provide mentoring. Um, get involved, whether it's your um, through local government, state government, even federal government, and understand something about uh, child and family serving policies, you mm -hmm. know, that can really support families. Um, and then thinking about, you know, if you're able to donate, whether it's your time, goods, energy to a, a child and family serving organization, you know, these are all things that people can do in their communities. And I would even say a lot of people are already doing in their mm -hmm. communities. And our message is do those things more. Bring mm -hmm. people with you, you know, have more people engage in those things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And as you have more people that are kind of getting involved on that local level that are either, you know, doing the mentoring, working with their organizations, I mean, naturally, they're going to be around the kids, the families a little bit more. So what would you normally share with people as far as some of the, like, if they see red flags or if they see any warning signs about what those might be? Mm -hmm. So some, you know, and, and some of that deals with the more the tertiary after the fact yeah. and, and we have to be vigilant to that mm -hmm. and you know I typically will break these down across two areas there's sort of some of the warning signs that we would think about for kids maybe mm -hmm. kids displaying behaviors they're withdrawing from um, social situations um, maybe a, a child who was once really excited to go to child care is no longer excited um, start seeing aggression you start seeing uh, somatic symptoms, stomach aches, things mm -hmm. like that, um, that really are unexplained by by other things. And I think with with the signs and symptoms of children, that the, the uh, one of the important things to remember is it's it's no one thing yeah. um, that we can really point to that says yes, if a child does this, we know that that child sexual abuse has happened. But really, I think it's important to look for these changes in behavior. You mm -hmm. know, like I said, a, a child who was once very excited to go somewhere or excited to spend time with someone and no yeah. longer wants to spend time. These are types of things that we have to build in conversations with our kids and, and to be open and to have conversations about. The other side of things that I, the signs and symptoms is when we talk about adults and Absolutely. we think about the, the adult side of the equation and looking at uh, situations where there's adults that are trying to uh, find opportunities to be in isolated situations with kids, mm -hmm. um, looking for situations where um, there's boundary violations, be it inappropriate talking um, around mm -hmm. kids or uh, hypersexualized talking around kids. These all start to start to be the the red flags that we look for um, when we're thinking about specifically the issue of things like child sexual abuse. Absolutely. And of course, the more people get involved, the more of that they're going to see on both right. sides if there is something going on. Right. As far as, okay, now that we see that, let's take action to do right. it. Absolutely. Right. So as a, as a Catholic church, I mean, there's a lot of, we have programs and different policies in place on the local level as far as trying to, again, like you said, the prevention aspect is really one of the key components of what we're doing. But what would you, from your standpoint of Prevent Child Abuse America, is there any specific things that you would recommend, like an organization that the Catholic Church or parents or caregivers can do to prevent child abuse? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things. I mean, I think at the sort of the parent and community level, um, you know, around topics like child sexual abuse, um, I think parents having conversations, open conversations with their kids, starting very young to be able to talk about their bodies, about boundaries with their bodies, using appropriate words 
um, uh, about physical anatomy. I mean, these are all things that parents can do about opening the door and having dialogue with their kids uh, about their bodies and, and body safety. Mm-hmm. I think when we start thinking about um, youth serving organizations, whether it's congregations, whether it's you know other youth serving organizations, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking looking at the policies that we have in place. Uh, to create the conditions and context where child sexual abuse or other types of abuse um, can thrive. And, you know, it thrives in um, areas of secrecy. Um, and, and we know that. And, you know, when we think about policy work, there's, uh, you know, things like um, having background checks for the people that come into our organizations, mm-hmm. that we're, we're screening all people. Um, in interview processes, are we giving people scenarios and saying, hey, what would you do in, in this case if you know, a child came to you and did this? Because it's our opportunity to find out how do people think on their feet? You know, the people mm-hmm. that are going to be working with our kids, how do they think on their feet? Um, and so when I think of policies, though, too, I think it's, it's really important to think about it's not just about having good policies in place. It's about the implementation of the policies. And I, and I give the example um, that I think we as a field can really learn from some of the uh, emergency services training. Back when I was in Montana, I would drive by a fire station every morning on my way to work. Mm-hmm. And I was always amazed nearly every single morning that I would go by, I would see all of the firemen out around the, the fire truck and they would be engaged in some sort of activity. I never knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. but it looked like some opportunity where they were going over, hey, here's how the water main works, or here's what we do in this type of scenario. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to learn, as you serving organizations, how to do that as well. I know that policies and procedures can sound great on paper. They could even be based on the best available science. But if mm-hmm. they're not being implemented, by everyone in the organization or implemented consistently, then they're not going to be effective for kids. And so I think that we've got to think about how do we go uh, put on ongoing in-service trainings for people where we're saying we're not just having this policy, but we're going to get back together and we're going to talk about what this means. We're going to bring up scenarios where this policy has been a challenge. So, for example, in a child care setting, you know, you might have a policy around Uh, taking kids to the bathroom, but you know what? After 5.30, there's only one staff there. So how do you as an organization start to find holes in your own policies and be able to troubleshoot some of those? So that's, that's another thing I think that organizations can do. So when we're looking at then kind of strengthening programs from a diocesan and parish level, really looking for some of those gaps would mm-hmm. essentially be key to do that. Looking for gaps and, and really, you know, creating cultures of safety by encouraging those conversations mm-hmm. and finding ways to say, you know, where do our policies not go far enough? And making it okay for people within, whether it's the diocese or within local parishes, whether it's in a single Um, youth-serving organization to be able to come forward and say, hey, I'm finding a limitation to this policy. And I love the idea of doing work around scenarios where, you know, Mm -hmm. as an in-service training, you create a scenario and you have your staff problem solve it. Because it's not just teaching compliance with a policy, but it's helping people think on their feet about the complexities of these situations that we're faced with. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the cultures of safety aspect. Uh, within the Secretariat of Child and Youth Protection, we're actually looking at working with dioceses on how they can strengthen their own organizational culture to prevent abuse and make it that culture of safety, as, as you said. So have, from your work at Prevent Child Abuse America, have you seen any examples of how organization can either help promote that prevention aspect, or on the other side, if you see that there's a weak organizational culture, are you seeing that it's maybe enabling that abuse to continue or to happen? I think the organizations that we see that are, are, are doing things well are the organizations that are willing to ask the difficult questions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And being able to say, like we were uh, talking about, having in-service trainings, encouraging people to uh, the staff to say, you know, this policy isn't working in this particular situation, or it doesn't work with our, it sounds great, but it's not working with our current staff patterns. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the organizations who are doing it well, like we said, are the ones that are asking the tough questions of themselves and mm-hmm. continually learning as they go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, you might have a wonderful, really strong program, but that continually learning, like you said, it just right. takes one thing to go wrong and you right. realize, okay, we had the scenario, now let's address it so it doesn't happen again. Right. And we have and to learn continuing. from it. We exactly. have to learn from it. We have to change things and continually, you know, policies and procedures can't sit on a shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, we have them in mm-hmm. place to be able to support kids and families and the people who work in our organizations and we have to continually revise them, we have to go back to them, we have to understand and make sure that they're being implemented the way that they've been designed. Absolutely. A commitment to resilience. Something happened, but let's make sure we're implementing this now and changing it and we're utilizing what we have to keep moving forward. So how can any of our, uh, the folks that are listening today to this podcast, how can they either get involved with Prevent Child Abuse America or maybe some of their state chapters or any other information or resources that you would want to be able to share? So I would encourage everyone, uh, wherever you're located, to find your local state chapter uh, Mm -hmm. of Prevent Child Abuse. They're um, great resources. Like I said, they do different things in different states, so it's not just one thing. Mm -hmm. So I would say, first and foremost, connect with your state chapter of Prevent Child Abuse. Uh, You can also connect with uh, our national office. You can go to our website, preventchildabuse.org. Uh, you can connect with us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can sign up for our newsletter. We have lots of resources on our uh, um, webpage that talk about issues of child sexual abuse, child physical abuse, links to some of uh, fact sheets and things that might be helpful for organizations, as well as I'm happy to be a resource if, if people want to reach out directly with questions. Uh, I can be reached at bclicka at preventchildabuse.org. Wonderful. I, I think that gives our folks uh, some good direction on how to kind of continue the dialogue on yeah. the local level and connect with with their local people. So thanks again for joining us today, Bart. Uh, I think this has been very, very helpful just to hear a little bit more about what Prevent Child America, what Prevent Child Abuse America does and some of the, the local resources that they have to offer as well. Uh, thanks for, for listening today and please join us for the next podcast coming up soon. Until next time. Mm-hmm.